Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hi, this is Rigor, and welcome to the East Meets the West with my co-host, Patsy the Angry Nerd. It's been a while, Pat. It has, it has, but we've both been very busy uh, with a variety of different projects and, and, you know, extracurriculars that have kind of kept us. I mean, I've even had to skip a couple weeks on uh, Throwdown Thursday because of uh, scheduling conflicts, so I get it. Yeah. So we're trying to put these episodes out as best we can. I, we've still got episodes uh, 19 and 20 in the can, and this will be episode 21. Um, so what's new, man? Oh, not a whole lot. I mean, uh, still working uh, in the movie business. Um, nice. I, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting adventure every day. Like, we've been out, out at the, uh, the beaches, or right on the water, I should say. Not really a beach, but like more like piers. We've been uh, shooting a lot in New Bedford, which uh, was once a very uh, thriving, vibrant whaling town. Um, oh, yeah. The home of Herman Melville. That's right. So there's uh, there's some interesting uh, history out where we are, Uh, but it's also been very nice and sunny, so I have been getting absolutely roasted in the sun. (laughs) So it's odd, you know, like, you know, right now it's towards the end of May, but it's odd having a pretty, pretty thorough suntan, you know, at the end of April. Yeah. Not something I'm used to, but, you know, you... uh, you enjoy it. Some days it's really, really nice because you get the sea breeze. And it's amazing where people will build their houses. Like we were at a location the other day where like you walk to the end of the street and there's a there's a small wall about two feet high. And about five yards beyond that is the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the ocean. Like there was one place we went to where across the street there was a similar wall. And then five yards past that 
the ocean. It's like, wow, I really like the backyard of this house had boats in it. Oh, wow. Like it was a, a, um, like a, like a boatyard where they, you know, work on boats that aren't in the water, but it's like, it's wild. Like I, I couldn't, I don't think I'd want to live there. Like one of the houses I drove by on my way home was on stilts Oh, geez. because it was so close to the beach and like rising tide levels <laughs> would just like wipe the house out. It's like, if you have to build your house on stilts, yeah, maybe that's not a good place to build your house. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> that's funny. All right, folks, we've got a couple of really interesting films for you today. We've got the uh, non-Shaw Brothers film called Ninja in the Deadly Trap from 1981, starring three of the Venoms, Philip Kwok, Chiang Sheng, and Liu Feng, which was also directed and choreographed by Kwok. Then we're going to talk about the classic and much-beloved spaghetti western The Compañeros from 1970, starring Franco Nero, Thomas Millian, and Jack Palance. everywhere. I'll go first, second brother next, younger brother next, and stay together. Right. Sharping way. You sent an invitation. So here we are. Why don't you show yourself? Or are you afraid? Neither of them. If you are able to get past the both of us, then Shaping Way will agree to fight you himself. Of course, one thing I forgot to do was read the um, synopsis, so hopefully it's good. Oh, for uh, Ruthless Tactics? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a hell of a time, like, trying to find all that. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, oh, it's Ruthless Tactics. Like, that's the other... Right. But if you look that up on, like, Roku, it's it's a Spanish version, and it's called Ninjutsu, even though you it'll come up if you look up Ruthless Tactics. Apparently it was also it was it's also on Tubi, but not under but under um That's what I meant. What did I say? Ruthless tactics. What did I say? Uh Roku. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Tubi oh, is what yeah, I meant. I'm sorry, Tubi is what Yeah, because well I looked it up on the Roku, it sent me to Tubi and but it was the Hispanic version, so I'm like, Well I can't watch this. I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah, the the one I watched the one that you sent me with the uh 
Chinese subtitles. Yeah, well, it should have been dubbed too, though. No, it was in, it was okay, in English, yeah. but it had Chinese subtitles. Yeah. Oh, Chinese. No, no, otherwise, I would have had no idea what was That's going right. on. <laughs> All right. In the 16th century, in Ming Dynasty era, Japanese pirates terrorized the harbors of China for decades until General Chi Chong Kuang masterminded a naval task force to combat the invaders. The oppressive Japanese government sends a contingent of stealth ninjas to assassinate the general in his palace. His son discovers that these killers have pledged their lives to eradicating his father. Soon, ninja assassins are attacking the general's soldiers in order to get to him. General Chi sends his son on a mission to recruit three Chinese fighters from the eldest master of three arts, who owes the general a debt. When the son establishes contact with the master of three arts, the old one informs him that the three pupils do not know each other's identity. Sounds familiar. The general's son first meets up with the mischievous Chao Chan, played by Chiang Sheng, who he quickly enlists to his cause. Uh, together, they recruit the second student, a blacksmith named Tang Yen, played by Lu Feng. Chao Chan and Tang Yen are students of the same master who didn't know each other, and their philosophies cause them to fight playfully. Finally, the contingent adds the missing component to their team, that of weapon specialist Mao Tin Young, played by Philip Kwok. Even as General Chi's son and his newfound allies return to the palace, several ninjas have infiltrated the household disguised as servants. The general's son then assigns each of the three fighters to pose as his servants as well to catch any possible assassination attempts. Chao Chan is assigned to assist in the kitchen to watch over the staff. He sees the lead cook load a deadly blade onto a tray and try to deliver it to the general for, di for dinner. Chao Chan races out to the serving room and faces off with the ninja assassin. General Chi Ching Kuang watches as his dinner is interrupted by this life-or-death battle. Next, one of the guards turns out to be an assassin and is discovered by Tang Yan and soundly is trashed. Mao Tin Young uses his wits to determine that the recent hiring of a palace maiden is indeed a female undercover ninja assassin. When he confronts her, she goes crazy and he's forced to fight her to the death. The leader of the Japanese ninjas, Shi Ping Wei, deploys a plan to kidnap the general's son to lure the general's bodyguards away from the palace where he will be unprotected. A band of sneaky ninjas makes off with the son and hide him away in the nearby gardens. Chao Chun... Tang Yen and Mao Tin Young unite and attempt to rescue the general's son. Along the way, they're attacked by various multicolored ninjas, including tree ninjas, earth ninjas, sun ninjas, and more. They finally fight their way past the ninja horde, only to discover the general's son is the prisoner of the sword-wielding Xi Ping Wei. The heroes must fight their way past this deadly sword master and his ninja disciples if they are to rescue the general's son. So, Pat, first impressions on this one. Um, I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. <clears throat> I did enjoy it. Um, and one thing, and this is going to be kind of a, a theme that we talk about with both of these films. I was wondering why at one point, like it makes sense that none of the three knew each other. Like they were all taught a different discipline and they were all taught a specific like secret handshake type signal. So in order to find the identity of the other two, they're like, oh, I know what we can do. Let's uh, put them on a wanted poster and, you know, offer a big reward for their capture, right. which all that's going to do is, like, cause, like, massive amounts of violence. But OK, like, <laughs> that's a plan, I suppose. And they figure out who this guy is. But the group of people that are gathered around now this is 16th century china right. 
Why did they all have goddamn Cockney accents? <laughs> it's all right, Governor. Let's go get all reward. He's going to make us rich. It's like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> oh, I'm from China, I am. It's like, no, you, what? <sighs> and the old guys, the old guy the voices, old... They, were, they sounded goofy. Oh, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Like, this is what happens when you watch the dubbed version, the Americanized dubbed version. Like, just watching the beginning, like, the over-expositing. First, I will take this book and show it to you, and now I will give it to you so you can put it away. (laughs) Keep it safe, because it is an important book. Bring it back to my library now. It's like, oh, my God. The American dubbing in any of these things is this was worse than any Godzilla film you've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the book itself, it looked like it was a kid's um, school project with the papers glued, you know, uh, construction paper glued onto the inside (laughs) and folded up. Yeah. Like it was when they showed the other book, too. Like it was just like this one long centerfold type thing. (laughs) That's all I can think of. If I was a kid and I had like I had this on, you know, VHS or something and I was able to freeze frame it, I would have made that into a, a report and brought it into school as, you know, a presentation. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I would I would say I, I will say that kind of makes more sense because I don't know if they had book binding technology in the 16th century. Yeah, so to have one long folded piece of paper. OK. I, I can I can get behind that. That's true. That's true. Especially in the, in Asia, there they um a lot of them had scrolls. A lot of their books were you know rolled up like scrolls. Yeah, and this was just folded, yeah. so it's uh, pretty much the same yeah. thing. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. I really didn't know what to expect. Um, walking in, I did know that Philip Kwok directed it, and I did know that it was a Taiwanese production, not a Shaw Brothers production. But that was about it. What I knew about it, um, and I liked it. I liked the change of pace of having it be. You know, 99% shot outdoors, which is unusual. Um, didn't have the budget of a Shaw's film, and he didn't have the the, the awesome costumes, but um, Philip Kwok, uh, he choreographed the whole movie, all the fight scenes, So, and you could tell. I mean, I just thought just seeing these three guys together made the movie fun for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, you know, the, yeah, the, the playful fighting styles, like, I always appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just like, it's so much fun. Like, you know, especially it's like, oh, I'm, you know, we're highly skilled and we're highly trained, but like, this is a lot of fun. Like, let's, let's see how good we are, we are against each other, but like, we're not going to break out our full skills. I just thought it was like really funny when like the, the master of three styles is like, Oh, yes, I taught this guy how to run through the trees, and this guy's really good at clapping, and this guy's really good at, like, it's like all these random skills. Like, this guy's running. Right. This guy's, like, knows how to make weapons. It's like, he knows how to make weapons. Like, that's not a fighting style. Right. That's blacksmithing. Like, and what of- He's an armorer. <laughs> like, and one of them was supposed to be good at unarmed fighting, yet they all used weapons all the way through. Well... I mean, I guess. Except when, like, unless you want to count unarmed fighting using only your legs. Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, technically. That's true. That's true. Oh, man. But, yeah, one thing I didn't know about this film, and um, I don't know if I saw it in the credits or not, and I watched it twice, but Chang Che produced it, 
So, you know, if he's if he's going to sleep through a film, it's going to have to be a good film. So I think uh, I also want to throw out there uh, that the music at the end yes. of this, that's from the Rocky series. Yes. Yes. 100% Rocky stole this music. <laughs> because I don't think Rocky 1 and Rocky 2 came out. And I don't remember if that music was in it yet. Yes. Cuz I know like No, it definitely was. I the Tiger I've did. had the Rocky soundtrack for since I was a kid and this is, okay. this is that that was the end music was the end fight when he's like, "Yo, Adrian, I did it." Cuz everybody everybody just associates Eye of the Tiger with the Rocky films, but that didn't come in until Rocky Three. Correct. Which is the best one, and I will die on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Agree to disagree. I still think the first one is the best. Did the first one have Hulk Hogan? No. No. Did the first one have Mr. T? It did not. <laughs> is that one at nearly as quotable? No. The 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 comedy, the the everything was the best in Rocky Three. Rocky Three had a robot. Can you swim with a name like Rock? Yeah, robot, right, right there. Case closed. <laughs> oh my God, that Polly trying to get Polly trying to get the kid to pick horses. Right. <laughs> that was like years and years ago. I I started working for this guy. He ended up becoming a buddy of mine now, but. At the time, he was couldn't understand why I don't watch football. I said, "Well, is there karate in it?" He's like, "No." I'm like any shooting? No. Well, then why should I watch it? <laughs> well, off the field. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh man! So let's let's dive in just a little bit into the um, the rest of the cast and crew here. The writer um, was this guy Sheng Huang Sai. He pretty much only wrote this film, and a co the co writer was Shing Sum which he also did a famous Hong Kong film called City on Fire in 1987. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a kung fu movie or not, but I've, I've heard many thing, good things about it over the years. Uh, of course, we've got Jared Paddle, I mean, uh, Philip Kwok played Mao Ting Young. Uh, T. Lung played General Chi. Lu Feng was Tang Yan. Chang Sheng was Chao Chun. Yasuakai Kurata was Xi Ping Wei, the leader of the uh, Japanese bad guys. Chu Ben K was um, he? It's it listed him as Ball Blacksmith, and he it was a cameo. So I don't know if Chu Ben K is famous in China, if we'll see him again or not. A um, couple more. We've got Chang Pang who played um, General Young, which I believe that was Chi's assistant, and Han Yu played the General's son. Which, by the way, he gets to fight a couple ninjas for a little bit. And that's it. He does like pretty much no fighting through the rest of the film. He's just either kidnapped or standing by watching. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot. No. <laughs> um, and I just do want to mention that with the versions we watched, I have it on DVD. So I watched that and that was a pan and scan version, which was okay because it was clear. But the um, we, you watched it on YouTube and I watched the YouTube version as well, which was widescreen. So you got more of the picture, but I felt it was a little murky in the in the um, you know the the nighttime scenes. Did you find that? Yes, it definitely could have been lit better. Yeah. So I, I, there's not a good version out there, unfortunately. Um, I think the one you and I talked about off mic um, on uh, uh, Tubi is it's dubbed in Spanish, and that is the same version as the Pan and Scan DVD. 
because uh, I looked at that at first. I wanted to watch it. I, I'm like, oh, great. It's on Tubi. It was under its alternate title, which is what, Pat? Uh, Ruthless Tactics, yeah. <laughs> which I could not find. It was I was looking everywhere, like on IMDb, like on, on it's because it's like, oh, it's on Tubi. And it's like, oh, is it, though? Right. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And it turns out it's because it's under a different title. So thank you, random naming devices. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what goes on there. Now, I've heard two separate um, conflicting stories about the this film. One, uh, actually, a few websites claim this uh, the ninja theme was adopted from the popular success of the film Five Elements Ninja. It had a, even a similar intro, which starred uh, Lo Mang, one of the Venoms, who is not in this one that we're talking about today. But it also, I read mm. that Five Elements Ninja came out the, a year later. Interesting. And this inspired that movie. So there's two camps out there, and I, I don't know what the actual truth is, wh- which came first, the uh, the elements or the, or the death, deadly trap. <laughs> Yeah, because I've seen I've seen this listed as 1981 and 1982. Yeah, I also saw it listed as 1985. I was like, wait, what? I'm choosing to ignore that. We've got some time. <laughs> so and and supposedly this was made around the time when Shaw Brothers decided to stop producing kung fu movies. I didn't realize they stopped producing them so early on. I thought they uh, they kept going at least until the 90s. So we'll have to do a little bit more research on that and come back and inform you folks about that. But don't fear not. There's about yeah. 684 more films to cover. So We've got some time. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I thought was cool, though, was like the, the even though the Japanese were really rotten to the Chinese, particularly through World War Two, the Chinese filmmakers were able to just sort of recognize how cool ninjas were and include them in the film. Oh, yeah. Like and they definitely. Uh... They definitely made them uh, formidable. They, they, yeah, they weren't like derogatory, if that's like the right word I want to use. Like they weren't like even though like they may not like see eye to eye on certain things, and like the the, the era of history that they're portraying was a brutal conflict. You know. I think it makes more sense for them to be like, wow, these guys are like amazing and highly skilled, but we still want. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the thing is, too, it was a brutal time, yet the ninjas were still able to be color coordinated. I thought that was a great takeaway from this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, you know, they're doing different elements, like several elements ninjas. <laughs> um, uh, maybe not five, maybe uh, slightly fewer, right. but. Oh, man. I mean, that reminds me of, uh, and we'll talk about Franco Nero in the next movie, but he was in um, not American Ninja, because that was Michael Dudikoff. He was in um, Enter the Ninja, and he wore a white outfit in that one. Yes. I have to cover that at some point on an outside episode once we start doing those. Um, but yeah, it was funny. We talked about, you know, the book that looks like a school project, and uh, um, I... I <laughs> I thought it was cool how, you know, the first of all, first of all, the master of three arts, he basically gives a similar plot to Five Deadly Venoms. Well, I've trained all these guys, each in a different skill, but they don't know each other. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's interesting, but makes sense. 
like you never want to give everybody all the knowledge, you know, the whole like, oh, the president and vice president can't both be on the same plane or in the same car, you know, like that That's whole true, thing. Yeah. You know, if you give everybody all the knowledge, then like what happens if they become a, a, a villain? Right. Then where are right. you? That's right. true. So he he basically tells the kid, you know, yeah, go and find these guys. And he says to him, too, I, I thought it was funny. He's like, I've taught them each a special sign so they'll recognize each other. And he, I don't recall him teaching it to the general son. And then. Yeah, I don't recall seeing it or like at any point. <laughs> Ever. Oh, I told him. It's like, would you just tell him that you knew a. Uh... That you knew the secret sign? Just right. tell him that. Yeah, I know the secret sign. Well, obviously you do. So uh... it's snowing in Berlin. Yeah. yeah. And then the fox is in the hen house. Right. You know what to do. <laughs> and the master of three arts takes off disguised as a sun and promptly gets cut in half by the ninjas, which I thought was that kind of shocked me. I had to rewind that. I was like, wait a minute, did I just see that? Yeah, it's. Uh... That's wild. But so then he finds Chang. I, I just like the fact that the plot moved at a brisk pace. You know, he's like, he's like, oh, are you the master of three yachts? Oh, yes. You need help? Yes. Uh, I, uh, Japanese are attacking us. Okay, great. I train these three guys and here's who they are and where you can find them. And so then he goes off, gets cut in half. And the son immediately finds Chiang Shang, who is, he's, there's a street gamble gambling thing going on with this one guy sort of running the show and Cheyenne correct me if I'm wrong but it looked like he was pickpocketing the guy taking money out giving it to his buddy so the buddy could come and make bets uh yeah that seems about right <laughs> oh man but he was awesome Cheyenne Shang I thought he was in top form in this movie he was his acrobatics were were excellent I think uh <laughs> I think that you know it's one of the better films considering they only have sixty percent of the venoms. Yeah, yeah. One of the better, like better choreographed. Yeah, yeah. I you gotta you gotta hand it to. I mean, Philip Kwok has has been choreographing quite a few of these that we've been talking about so far, but this I think was was really good considering that it wasn't a Shaw film. They probably didn't like. I know they didn't have the budget like a Shaw film did. So they probably didn't have enough money for wire work, but what they did was really impressive, I thought. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was there were a couple of things where it's like they definitely either used like trampolines or like some sort of improvised wire work because there were some pretty high, far jumps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody, nobody got their head kicked off, though. I have to say I was a little disappointed with that. <laughs> no, but my I think my favorite part was when... The ninjas threw the the ninja stars, and everybody got out of the way, and they killed their yeah. buddy. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> it was like this one oh like, shit moment. <laughs> oh crap, Doug, you did it again. Oh geez, the boss is really gonna be mad. <laughs> I think one of my uh, one of the things, like I always say, we look out for in Shaw Brothers films is different weapons being used and this while not a Shaw Brothers film uh they used katanas yeah and they also used uh those fun like everything on a hook rope uh everything on a chain yes yeah i thought it was pretty and cool don't forget lu feng had the extendable spear yep which he only used once as far as i could as i can recollect 
But speaking of Liu Fang, I thought it was cool that, you know, they, they pretty much find him after the poor bald uh, blacksmith gets beat up by the locals. <laughs> he um, hey, he was doing really well for a while. Yeah. And when he started to lose, that's when they were like, yeah, that's probably not him. <laughs> Just like picking guys up and throwing them. Right. All, all those British Chinese guys. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I say, put me down. Oh, crikey. Oh, that's Australian. <laughs> I don't like this at all. Oh. He's giving us the old Bud Spencer, he is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's giving us the business. Oh, I'm not enjoying this. This is terrible. <laughs> like, what? But, but oh, the, the plot just moved briskly because, you know, they find uh, Lu Feng. He spars, like I said play in the uh, synopsis, he spars playfully with Chang Sheng. And then they're like, you're my brother. You're my brother. Awesome. We got to find Big Brother. <laughs> yeah. It's it's been it, this was because it was those guys it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that Chang Sheng didn't look at him and and go, oh, by your biceps, I can tell your brother. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, anytime they have have these guys in a film, and like because of the you, they have such good chemistry because they they made like so many movies together. Yeah, like it's fun to watch. Oh yeah. It's a lot of fun to watch. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we get into, you know, we see how the ninjas manage to infiltrate um, General Chi's house as servants. And then, of course, the bad girl uh, fakes her way in. And the, the, the guy that's the housekeeper was creepy. And he's, like, coming on to her. And she, I'm going to infer that what she whispered to him was that she had some kind of VD. Well, that's basically, she's like, oh, I have, you know, I have a disease, you know, a not nice disease. I'm like, oh, as opposed to all those really fun diseases. (laughs) (laughs) Like there was uh, that one scene where the, the, the ninja guy was like, it's like, oh, let me help you carry all your firewood, old man. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, this is so great. Thank you. This is such a big help. Oh yeah. Anytime. So uh, what do I call you? You call me Japanese. And he like kicks him in the face and then murders him. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why be nice to the guy if you're just going to punch him in the face and kill him? (laughs) Like, just be a dick the whole time. Oh, my God. But along the way, back to the general's house, they encounter, uh, well, they encounter ninjas. It's four against the sun and two on... Oh, one on Lu Fang and one on Chang Sheng. And then, of course, Philip Kwok is sleeping up in a tree and he shows up and helps save the day, which I, I cheered. I was like, yay, Philip Kwok. Awesome. Well, I mean, you got to You got to I got to be sleeping in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what is he doing? Like, that's he just the way it is. Up into the tree. And then he's, you know, they don't show him again for a while until he hears the fighting and you realize that he's snoozing on a branch like a bird way up high. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty funny, but you know, I, I enjoy it. Like I don't care. Yeah. I don't care how ridiculous it is. I love these guys. Oh yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until like they started to spar with it. Like at first they you could tell the two don't trust Quark and they're giving him the you know, the stink eye and then they kinda do their forms or something and they all realize or he realizes, Oh, they're doing the same kind of kung fu that I'm doing and they're like, Big brother, hey! <laughs> You know, maybe if they had flashed their uh, secret handshake, right. it would have uh, would have <laughs> avoided that entire uh, that entire mess. 
It's like, no, I'm part of you. Like, or, you know, maybe like, oh, my shoelace is tied a specific way or I have this tattoo. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I know, really. It's like they they do like, you know, I don't know. They kind of did. I can't describe it, but they did a, a form with their hands and the way their hands ended up resting on each other. It was kind of similar to all three of them. And that's somehow that they knew who they were. I mean, again, they could be just recognizing each other's biceps going, wait, aren't you Johnson? From down the street. <laughs> Aren't you, Al? Yeah. <laughs> and there was a shot after that, which was really cool. I think it was like the best shot of the whole movie where, I don't know if you caught it, um, one of the ninjas is is sneaking into the general's house, and the shot is sort of from a distance, and it's reflected in water, and you see the ninja just sort of crawling along the roof, but in the reflection, he's upside down. It looks almost like Spider-Man crawling across. I just thought that was, even though it was kind of hard to see because it was at night, it was a really cool shot. I wish, I wish there was a Blu-ray of this, you know? Yeah, I had a, I had it on a smaller TV. I don't think I, I saw the whole thing. Yeah, because well, the the this frame didn't even fill the screen. Like I watched it on my big screen TV in the living room, and it was like in the middle of the, the TV. Well, yeah. See, I was watching on a smaller screen. So then uh, we don't really get to see the head Japanese bad guy till about halfway through. And the first thing he does is, uh, since his ninjas failed him, he makes one of them commit Harry Carry, which, you know, yes. Japanese do. He's like, everybody go, not you, Greg. <laughs> but it was Doug's fault. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but I like Doug. We play bridge. You know, like, I don't know. Right. It was your yeah, star. Stupid. That hit him. <laughs> Give us one more chance. Mm. All right, you guys. You can go. But right. uh, everybody else, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then, so then the son takes the three Venoms in, is uh, posing as servants. And uh, the housekeeper guy is talking to Philip Quack. And Philip Quack right away suspects that something's not right with her. I don't know why, but I guess to keep the plot moving. And he's like, oh, how long has she been here? Oh, only like a week and a half or so. Um, oh, but don't get too near her if I yeah. were you, he says. Watch out. <laughs> the scabies might jump off of her onto your body, even if you're just in proximity. Yeah, don't, so. yeah. Watch out. She's gross. Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. But they wasted no time in rooting out the um, the assassins. I mean, obviously, the assassins were starting to implement their plan or put their plans into motion. So it kind of made it easy. But it was so obvious when the girl brings the tea to Philip Kwok that it was going to be poisoned. Like, Here, even to this, him, I think. Drink this. Drink this. Yeah. Drink this tea. Do you want this tea? You should drink this tea. Drink this tea. <laughs> no, why don't you have some? No, 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 no. You, you drink it. Drink it right now. Is this poisoned? <laughs> just, just try some and find out. That was a pretty scary fight, though, because she had those, like, um, you know, bugles on her finger. Yeah. On her fingertips, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, another new weapon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But, yeah, like you had to wonder if you knew, if he knew what was going on. Like, because it seemed like, oh, drop the tea. Oh, I dropped the tea everywhere. Oh, man. Oh. And then, yeah. like, he goes to, he's like, oh, I have this box for you. And he, like, right as he turns around, like, she just misses him with the two darts that are apparently silent. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but then uh, he's like, here, look in this box. And it's like, aha, crazy purple knockout gas. Right. That will put a rash on your face. Yeah. Like <laughs> now your face melted off. You're, you're Harvey Dent. 
Which wasn't there a couple of ninjas at the beginning that melted for some reason? Yes, like they were, like they had like some weird gas in them. Like you know, same, but like <laughs> you know, I've I've been there. Yeah, everyone had, had that kind of weird gas that melts you. I've never, yeah, I've never melted, but <laughs> at least I don't think so. Oh my god, that was so funny. But then he, I'm trying to remember now. He blew the the stuff in her face, and then. Did he end up. Oh, he he crushed her throat with his foot, and she started to bleed onto his nice white socks and white shoes. Hey, jerk! You ruined my shoes. You know, like <laughs> right. like Rodney Dangerfield in uh, Caddyshack. You scratched my anchor. Right. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah, so they dispatch those three assassins, and the, the thing continues to move at a great clip. Of course, the ninja. As soon as you see, they, they caught one of them. They didn't kill him. I forget which one. Oh, which, by the way, I think that was the one. No, it wasn't. The one that Chiang Shang fought, he ended up stabbing and then pushing the guy down onto his own knife, or onto the knife, I should say. But he he's fighting. Chiang is fighting this guy in a great fight, you know, nice acrobatics and everything, really showing off his skill. And the boss there, the general, is standing there, and some of his men run, and he just puts his arm up as if to say, wait, wait, I want to watch this. This is cool. It was like a high school fight. He was like, no, no, no. The teachers will come. Be real quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and then halfway through the fight, he's like, yeah, Chiang's going to win. Why don't you just go outside and calm the guys down, tell them everything's okay. Yeah, we're all good. Like, he, the fight wasn't over yet, but, like, yeah, we're right. good. <laughs> that next fight, that was the one that was, like, in the dark. Like, let's see how good he really is. And, like, they had him fight, and it's just like... He is like in the dark, like I I could barely see who was doing what. I'm like, oh man, like why are oh, they? Which both... one, the Chang or or Lu Feng? Right after he's like, they had that fight, and they're like, yeah, go tell everybody everything's fine. And like the next one on one fight that was outside in the dark. Oh yeah, that was I Lu could Feng. Barely see anything. Yeah, yeah. Which he didn't get to use his like long stick with the blade on the end in this movie. He usually that's that's been his weapon of choice in quite a few of these, mm. or at least Shaw Brothers ones. But yeah, they so they were good fights. Yeah, that's too bad that was difficult to see. But then you know they they capture one of them. I guess they capture the one that Lu Fang fought because the, obviously the girl was killed and the other one was killed. So um, and they tie him up. And you know if you are watching from the beginning, one of the things ninjas can do is escape. Right, but ninjas, the guy goes, ninjas can do five things, and then he lists like three or four more things they could do. Yeah, he listed like eight <laughs> things. Like, they're yeah. very good with knots, and... They can get out of tight bonds. One of their favorite things to do is papier-mâché, and they make balloon <laughs> animals like no one's business. Like, all, everybody's skills and, like, abilities in this movie were, like... Really oddly specific, and like, <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, the only way they could top this now is you got to have someone that makes origami animals, and he kills you with them. Yeah, or like what I did when I was a kid would make like the the uh, the Chinese stars, the folded Chinese stars, and like we'd whip them at oh, each yeah. other. Yep. <laughs> oh man! So then they they go off. I'm trying to remember now what happened here. They um, I think they realized that. Uh, the the son got captured, so the three decide to go off and and rescue him. And they even though, he, all right, tell me if I'm wrong here, but they basically said, oh, he's trying to get us away from you, General, so you'll be vulnerable and he can kill you. But you know what? We're gonna go rescue your son anyways. <laughs> so they leave. 
we're going to do exactly what they want us to do because we dumb. And they, they're like, oh, he must have left a note. And instead, they interrogate the prisoner and obviously realize that he had escaped and gotten back again. And then he tells him, oh, well, the master wants the book and he'll give you the son back. But that was kind of a stretch. It was like, well, there was no letter. I, I think that was something lost in translation. It may have been. I think they might have meant like the book. Yeah, but they said ransom note. They said, oh, he must have left oh, a oh. ransom note. And there was no ransom. No, it was verbal. It was ransom verbal. And even then, the guy didn't know to say it until he escaped, went and met the master, and then came back. Like, oh, didn't you notice that his he's tied up differently than he was tied up at the beginning? Right. <laughs> oh, I wonder what that means. Probably nothing. Let's just go leave uh, the general alone. So, so then they go to try to rescue the sun, and of course they encounter the Golden Men! Which are ninjas dressed in gold. Uh, how did the three know about the Golden Men? There was no mention of them earlier in the film. Well, I mean, if you saw those guys, what would you call them? That's true. That's <laughs> <good point. laughs> I would have maybe said Golden Ninjas, but yeah. I mean, like, either way, like, I mean, that's a, kind of a smart thing, you know, dressing up the way they did with the uh, the bright colors to reflect the sun. Right, with, especially they had those, like, plates on their chest. Yeah. Oh, and that was what Lu Feng fought with in that scene you couldn't see. He had some kind of, like, a hubcap that he was fighting the guy with. I, I thought it was a walk, and I maybe all I could something. think of was walk this way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but they had reflective golden discs, but thankfully, Chiang Shang had the foresight to pack away some eggs, even though some of them were already broken, and throw them at the um, golden panels to stop the reflection, which I thought was kind of clever. Even though, again, how did he know to do that? Hey, you know, you, it's like how I approach being on set. Do I need all this, like, all my rain gear? Not always, but I have a poncho, I have a jacket, I have an umbrella. I might not need I have a first aid kit. I might not need it, but you never know. That's I have a, a tool kit that has a SIM card remover, and somebody needed to use that to clean something out the other day. Yeah, so, I mean. No, that makes sense. I mean, I have a box in my car in case I ever go to a live performance. It's full of rotten tomatoes and lettuce that I can throw at them if they stink. So, I mean, that's what everybody has all the time. Like, right. <laughs> if movies and TV shows have taught me anything. <laughs> Oh, my God. It's, they, they have them all the time. It's, I always do that. Even when I was a kid, I'm like, wait a minute. Where did they get all that vegetables from? All, all of vegetables. these performances take place right next to a farmer's market. Right. <laughs> Instead of walking up and down the aisle selling hot dogs or popcorn, he's selling uh, rotted, rotted vegetables. <laughs> so there's a shot with the three of them uh, walking, and it just reminded me of The Wizard of Oz as they're coming down the path, and all I could think of was, wouldn't it be cool if the Shaws did sort of a, a kung fu takeoff on the Wizard of Oz story? That, oh, like, that would be great. Could, yeah, the, the, the three kung fu warriors that have to protect the girl and get her to the, to the palace, you know? I think that would be a, a great idea for, like, any film. Like, make a... Like, because I mean, there's there's really only a handful of stories that can be told, you know, and it's just the right. same stories over and over and over again. I mean, look at Star Wars. Star Wars is Dune, is Harry Potter, is you know any of these young adult movies. Like they're all the same. Yeah, that's true. 
like Maze Runner and yeah, Jesse like Jackson. Oh, you're Jackson. the chosen one. Oh, wow. You know, and then you have yeah. like a wise old mentor mentor figure who dies before the training can be completed, but somehow the magic was in you all along. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man! And here's now here's an obscure thing that I also thought of when I was watching this. Are you familiar with um, the Banana Splits, the TV series? Um, I am aware that it exists. Okay. It, it, they, uh, basically, every episode they would show like a couple cartoons and then um, one long-running feature that was a short in every episode, but it continued, was uh, a feature called Danger Island, which was live action. And those were, first of all, they were directed by Richard Donner. Hmm. Um, and, and Jan Michael Vincent was, that was one of his earliest roles. He played a character named Link. And his outfit was almost identical to Philip Quark's at the end of this movie, where he had the blue kind of open, open front top and the white pants. And that's all I could think of was, oh, my God, he's Link from, from uh, Danger Island, you know? <laughs> so only old, oldsters like me are going to get that reference listening to this. <laughs> Uh, maybe. Uh, there might be a couple of people out there, some youngins who uh, know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. My grandson does, because I make him watch all this. Well, stuff. yeah. But So anyways, uh, my wife happened to be in the room while I was watching the last third of this, I think probably the second time through. I wouldn't, She wasn't watching the film. She just was in the room with the film. But I was kind of telling her about it anyways, and I, I kind of quoted you. I'm like... You know, um, I'm like, Pat always says, these are the superhero movies of their time. And I really got that vibe, especially in that end fight. It was just like over the top enough that it was it was a superhero movie, you know. But it had that um, that heroic moment where it's like, oh, you've been stabbed a bunch of times and you're really hurt. And but you're still fighting like you're not dead until like. The battle is over. Not like the usual one where it's like, oh, I've been stabbed 61 times and like instructions have been carved into my spine. But I'm going to run 40 miles to let you know that and then die as soon as I deliver my exposition. Yeah. Well, like that one guy gets killed with the stars at the beginning. First of all, they don't really penetrate that deep. I never understood how unless it gets you like in the eye or or something really a vital spot. Um, But then Cheyenne gets three in the back. And it's looking like he's going to die. And then I'm like, well, they're just stars. They're not that deep. Yeah, but it always stabbed. depends on who it is. All right. I always bring this back to um, a new hope. Uh, not a new hope. Empire. What happens yeah. to uh, everybody who gets shot by the AT-ATs? They explode. Except Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, I've lost control of my uh, my little speeder here. Oh, I'm going to crash. And I'm also crashing at hundreds of miles an hour, but I'm fine. Right. Um, <laughs> my other guy is dead. Like, he's dead, but I'm still good enough where I can just use my laser sword and kill this giant walking tank. Right. <laughs> so oh, it all depends on who it is that's getting exploded. That's a good point. That is very true. But then, of course, the um, uh, the villain, Xi Ping Wei, steps out and slowly pulls his katana out, which was a real fine-looking sword, mm. I have to say. It was like they, they really took the, took a moment to watch him pull this sword out, and you hear it going, 
as he's you know pulling it out, and it's just super shiny, like almost like he's never killed anybody with it. <laughs> it just really takes good care of it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and they, they had a great end fight. I thought, you know, you still had two other bad guys to occupy two of our three. So Philip Kwok is the first one to go in after the main bad guy, and uh, you know, like I said, Chang Shang. Spoiler alert: gets stars in the back, but he doesn't die. He actually manages to distract the leader by grabbing his feet because the leader's going to cut the son's throat, mm-hmm. whose the son is tied to a post. And uh, Chang Shang grabs his feet like a three-year-old, and enough to to what is it? He got speared, right? Or yeah, they he threw speared because he was like. They're like, oh, go get the go get the kid. And he's like, yeah, totally. I'll go do that. Oh, stars in my back. And then he crawled over and grabbed the guy's feet and then for his trouble got stabbed. I've seen that move a few times where it's like somebody like, oh, this is my last ounce of strength. I shall stop you. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to stab you right through the spine. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Lu Feng got to use his extendo spear in this end fight against one of the bad guys. That was kind of cool. Which is always a plus. And then, yeah, exactly. And then, as we mentioned before, uh, we're treated to some Rocky music at the end. Yep. They've killed the leader, freed the son. Um, Quack is carrying Chiang. We don't know yet if he's actually dead or not. I thought we were going to get, we were finally going to get a denouement at the end of this film. And it looked like it was going to move into maybe one final scene to wrap things up as you see the general and his armies marching down the street. And no, it, it ends. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, ha-ha, here we go, done. <laughs> the end. Rocky music, the end. Right. <laughs> you would think by now, by 1981 or 82, whenever this was made, the Shaw Library of Music would have been enough that they could have just reused some old music of theirs. And no, they have to go and steal it from an American film. <laughs> yeah, which is wild. It's so funny. But this movie, I thought it, um, it was well-directed, uh, very very briskly paced. I like that. Not a huge amount of character development, but you didn't really need it. Once you kind of got the backstory of these three guys and you, you, you knowing who the actors were, once they got together, you didn't really need any more development than that. Right. So, Pat, final thoughts on Ninja in the Deadly Trap or Ruthless Tactics? I liked it a lot. Uh, even though it wasn't a uh, Shaw Brothers film, it still had enough of those elements where uh, I was going to enjoy it, and I did. So uh, I definitely recommend it, especially if you are a fan of Shaw Brothers films. Uh, you should check it out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I definitely enjoyed this one as well. Um, after c- having covered most of the Venom films, we're getting close to the end here. Uh, it was nice to see the three, Kwok, Chang, and Fang, working together. Uh, the action was great. You know, as we mentioned earlier, it didn't have the Shaw budget or the lavish sets or costumes. Um, But I think that that lets it stand apart from the other Venom films, you know, especially for the fact that it was was pretty much all shot outside for the most part. And that's tough to do. Like even like the set, like the iron, what do you call it? The blacksmithing set was outside as well. Yeah, that's tougher to do because you got to deal with weather. You got to get the lighting just right. Yeah. It's not easy. So, yeah. I don't think Philip Kwok made too many more films. The one thing I read was that he did do a horror film a few years later that's supposed to be really good, but I, I don't have the, the name in front of me. Um, if you have the DVD, it's well worth it. It's it's pan and scan, but it's clearer than the YouTube version, but the YouTube version's widescreen, so it's 
six of one, half a dozen of another. The the night scenes, as we mentioned, get a little murky. But if you can get past that, man, I, I, I definitely recommend that people should watch this. It's just a fun movie, especially if you've been following along with us and watching the Venoms. It's so cool to see these three together again. It really is. So coming up next, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss uh, the Spaghetti Western or the Zapata film, The Compañeros from 1970. Of all the heroes, renegades, and dirty low-down thieves the West has produced, none can compare with... Fate brought them together. You're going to witness a classical squashing of the head. Church! Greed made them inseparable. Don't take your eyes off the sweet. If you're nervous because you want to join us, then be my guest. And violence made them campaneros. Give me one single case where violence is absolutely necessary. Yours. No violence. No violence. How did you escape from there? It was Marcia. She saved me from a nail that pinned my flesh to the tree. How? <laughs> she ate off my hand. Campaneros, so unmatched, and yet they're matchless. <laughs> Campaneros blow everything, including your mind. So the other film we have for you today is uh, Campaneros uh, in Spanish, Vamos a Matar Campaneros, which means Let's Kill Our Companions. Uh, it's a 1970s Zapata Western buddy comedy uh, directed by Sergio Corbucci, who we uh, discussed a lot of his films. Uh, film stars Franco Nero, Thomas Milian, Jack Palance, or Palance. Not really sure how to say that. And uh, it's like Basinger, Basinger. Uh, right, right. And uh, Fernando Ray. And the soundtrack, the incomparable Ennio Morricone. So, That's right. And it was conducted by Bruno Mattei. Yes. Who we've talked about before. So the plot is, during the Mexican Revolution, a peasant named El Vasco Melian starts a revolution in his town of San Bernardino by killing the army colonel in charge. Uh, rebel leader and self-appointed General Mongo, not the same guy from Blazing Saddles, soon arrives <laughs> on the scene and hires El Vasco for his revolutionary gang. However, Mongo is more interested in gaining fortune for himself than for his country. Yodlaf Petersen Nero, who plays a very convincing Swedish guy, let's talk about accents in a minute, a Swedish mercenary arrives in Mexico to sell guns to General Mongo. The safe containing the money is locked, and only Professor, Professor Santos knows the combination. Santos is the leader of a student counter-revolution that opposes violence, because that always works, and is held in prison by the United States Army just across the border in Yuma after he tried to find funding from the U.S. and did not agree to give the monopoly of his country's entire wealth uh, in oil in return. Alvasco dislikes the suit-wearing Peterson and calls him Penguin. 
but at the suggestion of General Mongo, the two reluctantly joined forces and set out to capture Zantos. Their task is made harder by the American army, which that stands to reason, and a wooden-armed American named John, uh, played by Jack Palance, who wants to exact revenge on Pedersen, his former business partner. Pedersen had left John to die after he was crucified. Fair. And his pet <laughs> hawk had to peck his right hand off to save him. As far as backstories go, that's a that's a pretty good one. Right. Uh, I would have I would have named him Lefty, but I didn't write this. <laughs> In order to maximize their personal gain and to support Santos' rebel fighters, El Vasco and Pedersen have to double cross Mongo. They receive help from Lola, the leader of Santos's rebel group, who El Vasco falls for, and her group of young revolutionaries. He just falls for her, not the entire group. I just want to make sure that's right. clear. Uh, after evading the Mexican army and crossing the border, El Vasco makes contact with a local prostitute he used to know, yes, used to know, who helps him and Pedersen infiltrate the U.S. Army camp, and together the two men free Santos by setting off a series of fires and escape with Santos in an old army truck. But one of the truck's wheels becomes unhinged, and the three men end up swimming across the Rio Grande River to safety back in Mexico. Well, well the steering wheel came off. yes. They, it didn't say that. It's just one of the truck's wheels, which technically is accurate, but it was the steer. Like, oh, everything's fine. We're going great. And it's like, oh, no, we're not. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was I was going to get into that. But, yes, it was the steering wheel. It wasn't like the left passenger wheel just came off. Right. <sighs> so on foot, El Vasco, Pedersen, and Santos encounter a Mexican army checkpoint and attempt to disguise themselves as robed monks carrying a coffin with Santos inside past the Mexican soldiers, but their cover is blown when John and his posse expose their identities, forcing them to run with both Mexican army and John's men in chase. He doesn't really expose their identity. He just kind of like, because they're like, oh, you don't want to open the coffin that has this guy in it because he has cholera. That's what it is. And they're like, oh, you know what? Uh, we should burn the coffin. That way nobody gets infected. And they're like, no, 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 no. We should uh, we, we, we shouldn't do that. We should do other things. So eventually, Alvasco, Pedersen, and Santos are safely reunited with Santos's followers, known as the Sanistas. Santanistas, sorry. Hiding out in a cave led by Lola, Santos's daughter. Who the plot thickens. But Mongo captures several of the Zantanistas and threatens to execute them if Zantos does not surrender. El Vasco and Pedersen team up with Lola and their surviving Zantanistas, obviously, to launch a climactic attack on San Bernardino, and they defeat Mongo's army in a climactic, there's that word again, gun battle, and Mongo climactically is killed climactically by El Vasco in the climax. Uh, afterwards, <laughs> when El Vasco brings Santos to the bank vault to have not open the safe, the safe reveals not to hold any gold, silver, or cash, only the true wealth of the community, which includes uh, some some uh, farming implements of uh, like grain and corn. It's like, ah, sucks to be you. It's like Geraldo with uh, Al Capone's vault. <laughs> Al Capone's vault. <laughs> As Pedersen prepares to leave town, John reappears and mortally wounds Santos and prepares to kill El Vasco, which, by the way, is Spanish for the Vasco, only for Pedersen to turn the tables on his enemy by blowing up the trained car containing all the arms and ammunition that Pedersen arrived in, along with John. 
When news arrived that a large federale counter-revolutionary army is marching onto San Bernardino, Pedersen decides to leave, aware that the Zantanistas are outnumbered and outgunned, but Alvasco urges him to stay and fight. Pedersen declines and rides away, but at the last minute, seeing the huge Mexican army advancing in the distance and unwilling to allow the Zantanistas all to be killed by the Mexican army, Pedersen rides back in town to join the revolutionaries in the imminent battle. <sighs> well, I don't want you guys to get killed all alone. I'm going to come back and get killed with you. Right. That's I'm a smart move open. on my part. Well, at least you have some dried up corn and some wheat to offer me as a reward. And right. I just blew up all the guns. So And the gold statue that he has. Oh, yeah, the protector. Which is yeah. how it starts out at the beginning. Like that's right. the the it's a Tarantino esque thing where the end is the beginning is the end. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. You know, one big disappointment I had with this film was that Mongo did not punch a horse in the head and knock <laughs> yeah. it out. That's. I mean, I, again, you know, you name somebody Mongo, you should be punching horses. Right. <laughs> and you know, you didn't see Pedersen like Candy Graham for Mongo. Right. Like you never got to see that. <laughs> Oh, man. You know, I walked into this film. I knew nothing about it except for the fact that it was a companion piece to The Mercenary. You mean a compañero? A, com- a compañero <laughs> to the, the Mercenary, which I, if you may recall, I wasn't too fond of that film. I had a hard time getting through it, and uh, I just really didn't care. And I was worried this was going to be like that, but it was very different. It was, it was, I was engaged from beginning to end, and I really, really enjoyed this one. All right, so I have to start off by Jack Palance's Irish accent. Like, he's good because he has that, you know, Clint Eastwood-esque, like, growly, raspy, good Western voice. Like him, Lee Van Cleef. uh, um, Yeah. uh, Obviously Eastwood, like I just said. Those guys have good – Bud Spencer – they have good Western voices. Like, I don't mean like they sound like they're from the West, but like they have those growly, burly uh, voices. And yeah, I appreciate that. To try and make him Irish and then to f- have Franco Nero, I don't know what accent he was doing, but he did not right. sound Swedish. <laughs> I don't know what that was supposed to be. <laughs> that was Swedish the way the Swedish chef is Swedish. <laughs> like I'll 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 say that much. Like it was like again, I don't know like like maybe he was supposed to be Spanish but also Eastern European like I'm trying right. to figure that out. Because to, to me a Swedish accent is the the um the blonde dude from Journey to the Center of the Earth, where he's, yeah, I've got my goose, Gertrude, and we're going to find Annie Sacknusen. Uh, I was thinking um, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Trading Places. <laughs> <laughs> that was a more convincing Swedish accent. <laughs> like, for, again, watching the, these two movies, we always find some sort of theme that ties the two of them together. Out of place yeah. accents is the theme of this week. Yeah, we have the Cockney uh, Cockney Chinese guys and the Spanish Swedish Irish Jack Palance. Oh God! Like 
And my understanding from what I've read is that uh, Palance, Milian, and Franco all did their, dub their own voices in English. Yeah, well, so they should have had somebody else do it. At least we were it. hearing their real voice. Oh, no, you could tell it was Jack Palance, but it oh, just absolutely, wasn't yeah. good. <laughs> right. It just wasn't good. <laughs> Oh man! So as as you mentioned earlier, Sergio Cobucci directed this. Um, he's still got a couple more that we want to cover soon. One of which is called the um, the Great Silence, which is a really good one. I'm dying to get to that one eventually. Um, but he's regarded next to Sergio Leone. He's regarded as one of the foremost directors of the genre. Uh, the film was written by a guy named Dean. Two guys. Uh, one of them, Dino Maiuri, who had 58 writing credits, including Danger, Diabolic which people may recall, um, that had, um, what's his name? John Philip Law, I think, was the main guy in that. And it was also a big uh, Mystery Science Theater fan favorite. Um, and he was also in, uh, I'm sorry, he also wrote Violent City in 1970 with Charles Bronson, which was one of the early Italian poliziotechi films, which are like these violent cop films. I do, uh, because you mentioned The Great Silence, I kind of want to throw a, throw a shout-out to... Uh, uh, my my good buddy uh, Cornelius Burrows of the uh, From the Canopy podcast. He uh, is actually currently this week. Uh, he is right now as we speak watching The Great Silence. Nice, yeah. Awesome. Which is how I okay. immediately recognized it, and I want to throw out a, a shout out because I uh, messaged him to be like, "Oh yeah, I'm watching a, a I, I'm talking about a Corbucci film tonight." <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, there's actually two more writers, uh, Massimo De Rita, who had 74 credits. Um, he wrote up until 2012. And the one credit that I found that I re- recognized was another MST3K favorite, The Puma Man with Donald Pleasance. <laughs> the Puma Man. <laughs> you have to say it like that. It's the Puma. The pu- yeah, you can't, I can't not, not say, say Puma, Puma Man. Because <laughs> it's, uh, that's what they they did the same thing in The Simpsons when they had the, uh, the mural because they're, uh, the, the Springfield Elementary mascot is a puma, and Principal Skinner kept like, who would desecrate a helpless puma? He just kept saying it <laughs> over and over. <laughs> that's awesome. The third writer was a German guy named Gunther Ebert. Who maybe that's why they screwed up their accents, because the writer was on set. But um, he's done a handful of films, including Dorian Gray from 1970, <laughs> which that one scared me as a kid. I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with uh, the Oscar Wilde story, or at least the premise. Yes, yeah, because yeah, I did like his painting. portrayal in uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh yeah, I also liked him in um, the Penny Dreadful. He's in that the TV show with um, Ava Green. Yeah, with um, uh, Josh Hartnett and uh, uh, James Bond. There, his name escapes me now. The License to Kill. Uh, um, he was Doctor Who. He's been in a zillion things. Timothy, Timothy Dalton. Dalton. I was going to say Timothy yeah. Zahn, but he's the guy who writes Star Wars books. Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> so as you mentioned, uh, Franco Nero plays Yodlaf, the penguin, Peterson. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I, I meant to look up like why he calls him a penguin, and I think it's just because he was wearing a suit. I didn't know if it was like a specific like slur towards Swedish guys. Yeah. Because there are No, I think it was just the way Sweden. he was dressed. Yeah. No, it was the way he was dressed. But then at one point in the movie, he even says to someone, he goes, oh, my name is Yodlaf Peterson, but everyone calls me Penguin. <laughs> it's funny because uh, there's one, there's when he's hanging and uh, 
Vasco is like like taunting him. He uh like he yells something about penguins and Ash was in the in the next room over and she's like, What? Like what the hell did that guy just say? <laughs> like and she was laughing. Because <laughs> it was like a funny uh a funny line. That's funny. <laughs> Well, yeah, and speaking of Vasco, uh, Thomas Millian, we saw him before as Cuchillo in The Big Gun Down yep. with Lee Van Cleef. Uh, very prolific actor. I think we talked about him to a great length in that movie. A um, lot of spaghetti westerns, a lot of polizioteckies, uh, then moved into mainstream. And I think that him and Franco Nero had uh, great chemistry in this movie. In fact, it's often been compared to the chemistry between Clint Eastwood and... Um, the, of course, Lee, uh, Eli Wallach in Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which we are going to cover I, I'm, in a I'm future point. forcing myself not to watch it. Good, good. good. Because <laughs> I want to watch it for the first time for this. So I'm doing my best because it's come up a few times, and it's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to it. We're going to save that for, um, yeah, for one of our special episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, also, of course, as you mentioned, Jack Palance or Palance, Played John. We saw him as Curly in The Mercenary um, and City Slickers. That's right. Same. same. Yep. yep. <laughs> I only want to play guys. I mean, what can we say about this guy? He's just great in every role. It's funny, too. Did you notice almost every time you saw him, he was either sitting or lying down? Oh, yeah. He was like, oh, I'm going to take a nap here. Oh, yeah. I'm also Irish. Oh, look at my hawk. Her name's Martha. I couldn't peg his accent because I, I it kept changing, so I oh, wasn't yeah. sure if <laughs> it wasn't good. <laughs> That's the theme. It's like, oh, look at me, I'm Irish for sometimes. Occasionally, I'll be British. <laughs> I don't know why I'm making him sound like a pirate. <laughs> I don't. He sounds like groundskeeper Willie. Yeah. <laughs> But he's good because he's different in every role. He was very different in The Mercenary than he was here. You know, and he's smoking the wacky tobacco throughout the whole thing. I didn't like his hair. His hair threw me off. Like, <laughs> I've got a I thought bold it was better job. than the curly hair that he had no, in Mercenary. No, this was the worst. It's like he's got, like, the Mo, the Mo Howard haircut. Like, what, what are you doing? Now, one of the guys you mentioned that was in this that played Professor Santos was Fernando Ray. His name sounded familiar, I, but I, I try to look, and I don't think we've covered him. I feel like we have. Doesn't it sound like an actor that we've talked about before? Probably. But Maybe I'm uh, thinking of Fernando Sancho. Yeah, who plays, like, all the bad guys in every movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I found out that Fernando Ray, and I had forgotten what he looked like um, until I, I read about it, um, he is most famous, and he, in fact, I think he was nominated for an Oscar for playing the villain in the uh, Gene Hackman film, The French Connection, which is famous for um, the car chase going the wrong way down the street in like Los Angeles or something. Yes. Yeah, it's one of the best car chases ever put to, yeah. to uh, film. That's a good movie. And then uh, we got Iris, Iris Berben as Lola. Um, she's still acting, actually. She's got a couple movies in post-production right now, um, but she's mostly been in German stuff, so I, I assume her voice was not her own when it was dubbed. Well, even, uh, what's his name? Mongo getting out of the, the car the first time. I was like, wow, that's some heavy ADR. I, I found yeah. <laughs> that working in films 
and getting to see like how they do certain things, you really get a feel for like different sound editing and and it's like oh yeah I can tell that this like even in modern films like uh, when we re- recently watched um, the new Nick Cage movie, you know the unbearable weight of immense talent. Oh, is that good? Oh, it's it's awesome. I love it. We saw that and uh, everything everywhere all at once, along with Morbius the same night. Um, oh, nice. We uh, I'm watching them, and if you pay attention to this, like I was looking for it when they're driving. He's uh, 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 oh my god, what is his name? I'm totally drawing a blank. The guy who's in the Mandalorian. Oh, uh, um, trying to remember the guy that plays the Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember his name. I'm, yeah, I'm totally blanking on his name, which I should give up my nerd card right now. Uh, Pedro <laughs> Pascal. Pedro Pascal. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, he he's turning the wheel, but the car doesn't move in the same direction that he's turning the wheel because, <laughs> well, like it doesn't move at all. Most of the time, what you're doing is like they're acting. And like that's why they're yeah. able to look away because there's either the director in the back seat or in the passenger seat filming them, or there's a yeah. camera mounted to the side of the car or the front of the car, and it's on a um it's on a trailer being pulled. And there's right, another right. so there's you know, depending on the shot, there's either uh if it's like an interior there's a camera mounted either to the front or to the side, or there's a camera guy in the back. Like there's a lot of different ways to do it, uh, which yeah. is why I like when they showed like the outer, the outside of the cars. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm always yelling at the TV and the TV shows and movies. I'm like at the driver, will you look at the road? Stop looking at the character next to you. Yeah. It's because they're being pulled along and they don't really have to, but like it's very subtle. Like if you look at it and just like watch when they turn the wheel, if the vehicle moves in the same direction, because a funny. lot of time it does not. <laughs> wow. You know, you reminded me, and this is totally off tangent from what we were just talking about, but um, you mentioned Nick- Nicholas Cage. <laughs> um, Do you ever see the movie Adaptation? No. It's, oh, it's an older film, and it has one of the best car jump scares in it. I don't want to give too much away, but I, I highly recommend it just for that one scene that literally I, I jumped out of my seat in the movie theater when I saw it. Nice. And it it's one of those, you know, you got to be looking at the road. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Mongo, um, we've got Jose Bodalo, um, who is also known as Francisco Bodalo, who played General Mongo Alvarez, who did not get any telegrams or punch any horses. Uh, we saw him before. He played General Hugo Rodriguez in Django. And, he wasn't very. Uh, he memorable. was also no. <laughs> he was also in the film Billy Jack, which I don't recall who he was in that. I haven't seen that. In a he while. was either Billy or Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which that's a trilogy I have on DVD. I got to watch them all at some point. But um, and he was in. Um, <clears throat> now this is going to get into some other stuff that we'll eventually get to. There's been a lot of like the Django movie that we saw with Franco Nero is the one and only. However, there are 26 sequels to that movie. There are also a series of films with Lee Van Cleef. I think one is called Sabata, and then I forget what the other one is called. Um, But there's also a shit ton of Ringo films that don't have Giuliano Gemma in them. 
Um, and uh, this guy, Jose Bodalo, was in one of the Ringo sequels that looks interesting called Ringo's Big Night. So I'm sure at some point we'll we'll cover that film. <laughs> we should. Yeah. Be, be interesting to see if they if they make any attempt to tie into the original Ringo and Ringo Strikes Again or whatever the Ringo returns. Ringo returns. Ringo goes straight to video. Right. Ringo goes to the Three Ring Circus. Ringo goes to summer camp. <laughs> now, what's really funny about watching this movie when I watched it the fir- uh, again I watched this one twice as well. Um, I I must have blinked at the beginning because I didn't see Jack Palance's name. So I was shocked when he showed up. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't know he was in this movie. <laughs> and when I watched it the second time, I saw it at the beginning, so I must have like been distracted or something. But that was a pleasant surprise, I have to say. I, I, like you said, like you always say, I love walking into movies not knowing a damn thing about them and being pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's uh, uh, that's how I take every one of these um, these movies that we've covered. Like, I just, whatever... Happens, happens. Like, I don't even watch the trailer. Yep. Yeah. So. I just want to see what we're going to see in the movie. Yeah. Um, now, what's interesting, too, is that, that Franco Nero is called the Swede in this. And wasn't he the Swede in The Mercenary? Or he was something similar, right? It's something like that. I don't I don't remember. But, like, it's, it's something like that. Because it also reminds me that Peter Graves was called the Dutchman in The Five-Man Army. Sergei Kowalski. He was uh, like he was Polish. Yeah, that's right. He was Polish. And then they they love their having weird European countries that are not weird, but I mean like lesser known or lesser shown in films, like characters from those kind of countries. The Polish, like that's literally the Polish. Yeah, yeah, it was the Polak. That's right. And then uh, Peter Graves was the Dutchman in the Five Man Army. Yep. Um, so they love they love pulling these like people out of the Netherlands and um, Northern Eastern. Europe, yeah, yeah. Scandinavia. <laughs> well, you know it makes sense. You know, like they said in the um, like the whole reasoning for them trying to get across the border, why he was able to go. Like, oh yeah, you can go because you're a white guy. It'd be way easier for you to go than for anybody else. Yeah. Specifically, they said he because it was European, but yeah, that's kind of the, but, the same drift. Yeah, he's white. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, oh, man. yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I really, I really like this, even though like we tend to like point out a lot of the, um, you know, issues and, and like, oh my God, I can't believe they did this type of thing with uh, some of the special, not a special effect, but like some of the lighting or sound choices that they that they make but these movies are a lot of fun oh yeah especially this one had a lot of great funny lines like at the beginning when the swede first comes to town and the young people are trying to coerce him into joining their cause for revolution and they're trying to explain well we're on the side of reason and he franco goes well being on the side of reason is not always a good reason (laughs) i like the uh the 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 recurring why did you give me that dollar <laughs> yes you, and you knew you knew he wasn't going to tell until the very very end why he gave him the dollar you're about to die tell me why you gave me the dollar you want to bet and you know that <laughs> he that fell was on something the goddamn I read banana too, but, peel too like that that's was what i was going to say that 
<laughs> well, they were like something I read said, you know, uh, Corbucci wasn't afraid to put in comedy, especially the oldest trick in the book, the banana peel. And somehow it works, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not expect the uh, the second banana peel thing. Like the first one is like, oh, you think you can fool me with that? <laughs> I am the Swede. No one can trick me. And then like he ends up falling on it a minute later. Well, no, it was Vasco. Yeah, who that's what I'm saying. It. Vasco falls on it, yeah. even though he's the one who, quote unquote, laid the trap. Right. <laughs> Unbelievable. And then him and Vasco finally they're paired up, and they have to go rescue Xantos. So, so they think they can get into the safe and get riches out of the safe, as you mentioned in the synopsis. Um, and they get to the border, and the soldiers want to take Vasco's picture, and he has no idea what a photograph is. He doesn't even know what the hell they're doing. I think he thought they were going to shoot him. Yeah, that's why, like, he freaked out and, like, they killed all the soldiers, which yeah. apparently wasn't as big a deal as I expected it to be in the movie because it never really came up again. <laughs> like, Well, yeah, and then Franco lost his passport there, too, and he left it. Yeah, it's like, oh, here's my passport, and, like, we just killed all these soldiers. I mean, they did have their faces on the Wanted poster, but I think that had more to do with Jack Palance than anything else. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Might have been a little bit of both. Well, I mean, they didn't have a picture of the of of Vasco. Oh, that's true. Yeah, he freaked out because back then you had to like sit still for like half an hour. While right. they, like it would have been easier to chisel it into wood. Yeah. Like. <laughs> oh my god! And you know, and then Vasco has another funny line. He's like. He's talking about the chick, Lola, and he goes, she's a dirty sanista, but I will admit she's a nice-looking dirty sanista. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's fair. But what do you think of Marsha the Falcon? <laughs> uh, good actor. <laughs> a really good actor. Like, well-trained Falcon, especially for somebody who is, uh, I'm guessing, not uh, adept at falconry. Right. It's uh, pretty impressive they were able to train that uh, that animal. Yeah. And you know what I didn't get from watching the movie? Now, tell me if you thought this. Because I read this, and they never actually say it in the film, but there's there's a few scenes where uh, uh, Jack Palance is feeding it bits of meat. And they said that that was supposed to be an allegory. Even though he's got an Irish accent, he's the American feeding bits of Mexicans to a, a falcon. Which was somehow supposed to be an, you know, Allegorical. roundabout way of saying, well, that's how Americans treat Mexicans, which I never got that at all. Did you? Uh, no, I didn't quite understand that uh, that whole thing. I thought he was just being creepy and spooky. That's what I thought. But she, he's like, oh, did you? <laughs> Franco says, how did you? I never thought you'd get off that cross I nailed you to. And he's like, oh, Marsha rescued me. Oh, did she pull the nail out with her beak? No, she ate my hand off. <laughs> That's like a vaudeville routine. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like, it, it's kind of ridiculous. I would have, you know, like, oh, he pecked my hand off. Like, that would have taken forever. If reading uh, A Rock in a Hard Place, the uh, Aaron Ralston story, he's the kid who uh, they made a movie about it with James Franco. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Uh, where his hand got stuck he detailed how he cut through his hand with like you know pocket his knife. pocket knife and it's like yeah. that would be way longer than trying to cut through your hand with 
a bird. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's got to be better ways to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that was all I could think of, too. Yeah, it was James Franco cutting his hand off with the pocket knife. But, yeah, it made it interesting, made the character interesting. I will say that. And, uh, you know, I thought Thomas Millian looked different here from the big gun down. He didn't, I didn't recognize, like, I wouldn't have recognized him from that movie if I hadn't looked it up afterwards uh, or or just remembered the name in the opening credits. But he he's another one of these actors, I think, that tends to, is able to sort of look different in his roles. I agree. And um, <laughs> there was one funny scene, though, where he's trying to, He's picking the roulette guy's brain about how to play roulette, and then Franco comes in and inserts himself into the conversation, and then he lights a match in the roulette guy's nostril. Pick any number you want. 69. What are you, 12? <laughs> <laughs> like, I couldn't get over that. I, I He could have said, like, 104, but no, he's like, 69. It's like, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> you said I could pick any number I wanted. Why can't I have this number? <laughs> Oh, man. And then, of course, you know, speaking of um, Jack, the Americans paid him in loco weed, which I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. He's just like tripping out the whole time. Yeah. I mean, whatever. You know. Now, when when uh, Jack Palance and his guys had uh, Thomas uh, Vasco captured and tied to the rock and they put the basket on his chest or in his stomach, I th- they said it was a rat afterwards but i thought it was a guinea pig that they put in there well they might have like used a guinea pig but yeah that's a a a famous what they usually do it's usually uh an iron bucket like a metal bucket and the rat has nowhere to go yeah so they put it on your stomach the rat has nowhere to go because like the rat could chew through the wicker basket like yeah like that'd be way easier take way less time but yeah, that's a medieval torture technique. They actually used it on uh, on uh, Game of Thrones. But what they would do is to keep the rat from trying to get through the bucket, they would take a torch and hold it to the end of the bucket. So the rat was like frantic and tried to get out. Right, right. And that also makes me think of, um, was it Missing in Action, where they put the cage on Chuck Norris's head with the rat and then he ends up killing it with his teeth? Mm-hmm. As opposed to Nick Nick Cage and uh, the Wicker Man with the bees. Oh god, I refuse to watch that. I, I would just watch the original. Oh, <laughs> it's so good though. Not the, the bees, bees, not the, the bees. bees. <laughs> I loved it. I don't care. Have you seen the original? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, at the end oh. when the guy's yelling out the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. The Nick Cage version is better when he like comes out as a bear and punches the lady in the face. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Oh, that might have to be like a party one where I have a bunch of people over and we get drunk and watch it. <laughs> oh man! But I liked when they were they were carrying uh, Santos in the coffin, and um, Milian is like kind of fake singing monk music, and he's like, "Please be quiet and enjoy the ride." <laughs> yeah, you're, otherwise we're going to get killed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, how did no one notice that? I know. Oh, what was it that I missed the bus? You missed the bus. When's the next bus? E pluribus unum. And then, then they escape. And of course, Franco gets to use his machine gun not once, but twice in this movie. And one time, just throw it at a guy. Right. Is it jammed? 
That was when they were in the car. And he goes, Franco goes, our problems are all over. And the steering wheel comes off. And Melian goes, you're right. As they go sailing into the water. Yeah, because he figured they were dead. <laughs> and the other guys give up really quickly. Like, oh, they must have crashed into the water. Oh, they're dead. All right. As opposed yeah. to Tommy Lee Jones and the fugitive. That guy's fish food. All right. And catch me the fish that ate him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> on every farmhouse, hen house, and dog house search in this neighborhood. Yeah. But I did like when, though, eventually um, uh, the Jack Palance catches Santos, and he's like, where are your friends? And he goes, oh, they're busy digesting Marsha, <laughs> his only friend. Which is unfortunate because she didn't even taste good. I know. <laughs> they might have overcooked her because that looked like a blackened, it, a blackened yeah. bird. Yeah, it definitely looked like the... I mean, obviously, they're not chefs, so they needed, like, Bud Spencer to cook it. Yeah, right? Where are the beans? <laughs> but the professor guy was funny, Fernando Ray. He was great because he's yelling at his people not to use violence, and then he turns around and slaps a guy in the face. No, oh, I told you to be nonviolent. Whap! Like, yeah. <laughs> I was going to bring that up. It's like, oh, like, you got mad at them for not, for being nonviolent, and you... Slap the guy because he's not being nonviolent enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, a lot of fun things happen in this movie. Like Franco shoots the bell tower and drops it on top of Jack Palance. I thought that was cool. That was, yeah, that was uh, that was a good shot. Yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is when you look at the reaction of the characters, I don't think they expected it either. No, it's like, hey, surprise! So we get the machine gun again in the end fight. And um, Vasco is saved by the dollar because somehow he was able to drill a hole through it and turn it into a necklace, which they never really show how he did it. They just showed him sticking the string through it. Yeah, I, that seems to me like it would decrease the the value. Yeah. Well, clearly, if he's turning it into a necklace, he's not planning on spending it. But, I mean, a dollar back then, you could buy a horse with a dollar. Oh, yeah. You could buy, like, four horses. Yeah. But I thought it was weird that the um, the combination lock on the safe was a series of letters. It was the alphabet, which I don't think we've seen that so far in any of the No, like that's the, that's the first thing. What I would have done is I would have just kept trying different words. Was it like Viva San Bernardino or something? It was Viva Mexico. Viva Mexico. Yeah. I know. That was just weird. And it, like they didn't obviously show it close up, but... <laughs> you, you couldn't have guessed that? Right. <laughs> Uh, we need to go on this like whole huge adventure, and I need to almost get killed a bunch of times. Viva Mexico. Oh, I never would have figured that out. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> oh, my God. I love the, 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 the whole, like, you know, because we didn't really touch on, like, what got Zantos, like, in trouble in the first place when the guys are like, ah, oh, we'll totally help you win the war. Uh, just give us uh, all the oil in Mexico. It's like, oh, yeah, right. America's really changed in the last 160 years. <laughs> hey, it doesn't hurt to ask. They say it sounds exactly like something everybody else has said so far. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll help you win your war. Just give us all your oil. It's like, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It would have been interesting to see if that was real and if he had gone for it, if the, if the, he was a real real person in real life. Because they, they did make mention to, what was it, like, uh, Diaz and a few other real, and now that we've, you know, sort of studied the Mexican Revolution through a few movies, you know, they did throw out some real historical names. But it would have been interesting, you know, maybe there's an alternate Earth somewhere where Santos was real, and he made the deal with the Americans, and then they did keep the oil, and Mexico was completely different than what it is today. 
That would have been weird. It would be. But, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, they just had to get the right person to but you know they would still would have revolution you know, had a revolution anyways. Oh yeah, yeah. From under under America's thumb. Yeah, because it's like, you know what, we're not gonna give you all this oil. Like that's dumb now. Right. <laughs> oh man. But then of course Vasco and the Swede end up saving each other in their duel. We're back at the scene from the beginning, which I thought that was cool, as you mentioned earlier, uh, to sort of see how that plays out. And it was funny. I think, what did he say? Franco's narrating at the beginning, and he's like, I thought he would grow a brain between his ears, but then we get to the end of the movie, and he didn't, or something to that effect. Yeah, something along those lines. Franco throws the statue and blows up the the car and pounce. (laughs) Yeah, and then it's like, ah, right. Oh, we don't have any. Uh, what is it? We don't. We we don't guns. have any more guns. All the guns are gone. Well, that's a problem. Oh, gee, you think? Yeah. <laughs> now I read some criticisms on this about um, you know a lot of people regard this as one of Corbucci's best films, but um, some people have argued that the quote unquote happy ending shouldn't have taken place. That Franco should have been able to just ride off into the sunset and be the greedy bastard that he always was. But instead, like as you said in the synopsis, he sort of has a quick change of heart once he sees the army and decides to help the Mexican revolutionaries. I thought it was fine. I didn't have a problem with the ending. I honestly think it's still uh, a selfish act because I think he knows that there's no shot of him getting through that without you know, some sort of confrontation. And the only way he can get through that confrontation is maybe by joining up with those folks and maybe they're able to fight through it and win the day. Right. And they might find treasure elsewhere. I mean, probably not. Like, let's let's be real. Probably not. <laughs> oh, but a Swede can always dream, can't he? I mean, I mean, he's going to have to because... Uh, there's no silver lining to this. Yeah. What I thought was interesting was, was Vasco's story, or Vasco's character arc, because he starts off as a sort of a seeming bad guy, but I felt like he was a product of his environment. And it, it turned out he actually did have a good heart. I mean, heck, he, he marries Lola, and he actually really does love her, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Because he, like, he kept her hair that he had cut off as a douchebag earlier in the film. I mean, part of it was he wanted to have sex with her. Yeah. But then he ended up having re- developing real feelings. and then But then he was like, you know, really understood what Santos was getting at. And then, you know, Franco starts off and you think you kind of think he's sort of an anti-hero, but he's really just motivated by money. Yes. His arc doesn't go. It actually goes almost in the opposite direction of Vasco's, you know. <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, he's a big old jerk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like at the very end there that we just mentioned, he's, he basically value, realizes that he values his own life more than he does money because he's going to get killed if he rides off into the sunset. Yeah, like it's, I can either have no chance or a little bit of a chance. Yeah. So I read a cool review online, I, a couple of sentences from it here <clears throat> that I thought really sort of encapsulates this film. It said, um, one of the most entertaining aspects of Compañeros is the humor that presides over the adventure, giving the serious violence and zany characters a level of enjoyable lightheartedness. The cinematography is also stunning with its bright blue skies, vividly colored costumes and highly detailed desert landscapes. And I thought that was pretty accurate. Yeah, the cinematography was 
was awesome. Oh yeah, and the score was very good, and it was you know another Morricone, and it was also another one that's kind of compared to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, I get it. I can. I mean, I haven't seen the movie, so I can't right. specifically <laughs> say yeah, this is one hundred percent accurate. Yeah, but from what I know, I mean, the music was uh, not exactly the same. But that's what I like about Morricone. Yeah, is he has a, a the ability to create different music styles and different themes. Yeah, there was a lot of like choruses singing in this Gregorian chant kind of things every so often. Uh, a lot of throat singing. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was cool. I want to get the Blu-ray because I guess the Blu-ray disc has both. Oh, no, the... I, I I'm I'm wrong. I I'm thinking. I was like, oh yeah, there's a lot of throat singing. It's like, no, that was uh, the Northmen when they did that. Oh, so not not this movie. Uh, <laughs> not this well, the Gregorian chant kind of things you could almost say are yeah, uh, throat singing to a degree. But I definitely want to get the Blu-ray at some point because um, apparently the Blu-ray disc has both the 115 minute English dub and the original slightly uh, quote unquote slightly more hearty 119 minute Italian language version, which I wonder what they've left in it, what was cut out, you know? Yeah, it would be interesting to see, you know, get to see both versions of it because, you know, you never know what, it might be something inconsequential, but it might be something that's like, oh, maybe this explains, you know, some plot hole or why did the the steering wheel just fly off for no reason? You know, right, like, right. <laughs> did somebody sabotage the car? Did they sabotage the car prior and like we didn't get to see it you know like what's the what's the deal you say sabotage i say sabotage smells like sabotage and potatoes <laughs> so pat final thoughts on the compañeros uh it was fun um didn't quite have the same uh you know like one of the things i like in uh in in these uh westerns is like some you know like insurmountable odds like you know we come up with some crazy convoluted plan that like never should work but does you know like some of the ones yeah. that we've seen like that's the stuff i like but i will uh i will say that um it was a lot of fun and i liked it a lot yeah yeah this one surprised me um i loved it way more than the mercenary I thought franco and milian's chemistry was awesome in this um you know well directed by corbucci a lot of humor and violence. You know, I like I like lots and lots of humor and violence. Well, not lots and lots of humor, but I like a little humor with my violence. Um, he had some he had some political leanings in it, but there was no hitting you over the head with it, uh, except for the fact that Santos was a pacifist, but he couldn't seem to get that to catch on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we shouldn't fight with violence. It's like yes, yeah. You stand there and like, hey, be our friend. Oh, they shot us forty times. Oh, right. <laughs> but I thought this movie was engaging from beginning to end. And uh, like I said, someday I'm probably going to pick it up on Blu-ray. So I definitely recommend people check this one out. It's on Tubi right now. Um, easy to watch. Really, really fun. Looks looks gorgeous, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's really nice. Like whenever you get these nice cinematic landscapes, you know, in these westerns, you know, with the mountains and the deserts and the sunrises and the sunsets and... You know, the the rocks and the canyons, like, it's really cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. yeah. I believe it was shot in Spain. Yeah, they usually are. Yeah. 
Well, folks, that's all the time we have for The East Meets the West today. You can check out more episodes as well as our sister show, Then Is Now Podcast, in which we discuss all the cool stuff you may have missed out on at our website, havenpodcasts.com. Please be sure to click on our Patreon and T public links as well for some exclusive content. And, folks, don't forget The East Meets the West is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the dorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. Uh, you can find me on throwdownthursdaypodcast.com. Uh, for my show, the Throw, uh, Throwdown Thursday Podcast, you can also find me on Facebook uh, under the same uh, group, Throwdown Thursday, um, where we discuss all the characters you love and love to hate that make up all your uh, awesome movies, TV shows, books, comics, and uh, some from real life. So... Uh, Awesome. Rigor, we got to get you on to talk about Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially, and I've got some ideas, too. we got to do an Outside the East Meets the West episode because I, I found another Bud Spencer film on Tubi called um, Aladdin. Oh. <laughs> it's like a modern-day, well, 1980s take on Aladdin. Interesting. And, folks, don't forget we have a YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1, where not only will you find videos of our podcast, but you'll find lots of other fun stuff, including our new show that we've started over on Then Is Now. It's actually sort of an offshoot of Bill Van Ryn from Groovy Doom uh, teamed up with me, and we've created a monthly live show called Fright Lounge, where we talk about all things horror, and uh, you can, you know, uh, either send us comments through youtube or through facebook while we're tweeting or while we're tweeting while we're streaming live and uh we'll try to answer your questions on the air uh so don't forget to share that youtube page with your friends and also get them to subscribe as well awesome also uh don't forget to go wherever you download your podcasts and leave us great reviews so more people can find the show the more reviews we have the more that uh the different algorithms will suggest us to the people who are looking for us. That's right. That's right. We'll read them on the air, too. If you leave us some good five-star reviews, we'll read them if on the air. If you read bad ones, we'll, we'll read them on the air, too. That's right. Yep. <laughs> so join us again on our next episode of The East Meets the West. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.